Welcome to the 11th episode of Faith, Hope, and Prosperity, hosted by Austin Green. Today you'll hear from Brent Wattis about his experiences as a convert to the church, a CEO, and in the U.S. Special Operations. We hope you enjoy this episode. In every episode, we interview prosperous members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The goal of the show is to encourage and inspire young adult members of the church. I hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, thanks for joining me, Brother Wattis, and uh, I'm really happy to have you. So let's start with a little bit of an introduction about yourself. What do you do? Where are you from? All that. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you for having me. I'm Brent Wattis. I'm originally from Scottsdale, Arizona, so out west uh, traditionally. I'm currently in Durham, North Carolina, though, where I run a robotics company out here. I'm CEO of uh, BotBuilt. We do robotic construction, computer vision, AI type stuff. It's kind of fun. Uh, I'm originally the son of a Catholic Polish father and a Methodist mother, so that made us kind of Episcopalian growing up, I guess. Um, but went to Hebrew school with a friend and then ended up uh, falling in love with just kind of not being religious and then found the church when I was about 19, 20 years old in earnest. I, I knew of the church and fought against it for many years, but fell in love with its uh, uh, doctrine and practices from the Holy Ghost uh, when I was about 19, joined from there, and it's been kind of an adventure ever since. Now I have a wife and two daughters, one daughter at BYUI, and the other daughter is still in high school as a sophomore, just living life. Man, well, that gives me a ton of stuff to jump on. But the first thing, the, the most interesting to me immediately is your your conversion story. Like, how did you get, how were you exposed to the church in the first place? And then, like, how did that look? So I think true exposure to the church and its doctrine came in my high school days. I went to a private Christian high school, um, and we had to take an anti-Mormon class, uh, which I, I, like, really excelled at. Like, I don't mean to brag, but... I was probably top of the class uh, and, uh, just because uh, as a, as a youth, um, I had a very visceral experience in sixth grade when I started at this private school. I had to go there just because my school's overcrowded my public school. My parents knew some folks that were sending their kids to this place. And so my Catholic grandfather just died. So we went up for his funeral. Then I started class that week. I'm like five days late to class. I'm a new kid. You know, I just came back from a funeral, whatever. And, uh, and I remember the first like two weeks of class, we learned that Catholics go to hell because uh, apparently they worship Mary. It was news to me. Um, so I was like, oh, holy cow, is my grandfather in hell? And they're like, well, we're afraid so. That's the way it goes, son. And so from then on, I was just like game on. Like my parents raised me to question authority just flat out and God bless them for it. So I started reading the Bible cold. Like I'd just be like, oh, it's interesting. Well, Leviticus says this and yet in Romans it says this. But, you know, that Paul, he kind of changed things over here in Corinthians. Can you explain that? And they hated me for that. But uh Thankfully, they didn't ever expel me for it. I just learned to really, really not like Christianity. And then um, my last year of high school, I had to take an anti-Mormon class, and I learned to really, really, really not like the LDS church. Um, it just represented everything I hated about fascism and patriarchy and control and all these things that I'd kind of been taught to fight um, most of my life. Uh, and so, you know, we were just basically taught a bunch of lies, uh, watched some propaganda films, uh, can't remember the name of all of them, but you know, the typical standard fair internet stuff today. Uh, back then we watched it on films. We'd 
get tests on why it's an occult and why it's you know an abomination. And so I just learned to hate and fight. Wow. Yeah, it was. I mean, religion's a money game, so yeah, you got competition out there, and they're gonna they're gonna fight anybody <laughs> they can. So sure. it was a, it was very interesting to me to to kind of always have that. And uh, I think it was about four or five years later, I'd read through the journals and discourses. I would invite missionaries over just to spar with and, you know, just kind of surprise them. And, you know, they're 18 to 26 year old men. So they're going to fight back. They're not going to not going to be like, sure. you know, we can feasibly think about the spirit right now. They'll be like, the heck it says, you know, just, you know <laughs> um, but when I was probably 19. Uh, yeah, I, I fell like head over heels in love with my wife, uh, but. I knew I couldn't marry her because she was a member of this church. Um, so she and I started going to my church uh, that I picked up at random just to go to a church and say I did. Um, but I started really having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which is a good thing for me. I quit smoking. I did like these little things that were important, little steps along the way. And I couldn't tell you like with an assurity, I, I had no, no real idea what the church was until she actually physically went through the motion of inviting me to her church and the spirit absolutely hit me and just said you will stop it like you will just stop being who you are and start humbling yourself before me and i knew it was god and i felt like i was home for the first time in a while and i said call the missionaries i know it's true like instantly it wasn't even like a wasn't a question yeah which was you know poor elders that came over like you sure? I'm like, yeah, just tell me, like, what do I do on Sunday? I don't even know what you guys do. What do you wear? You know, and yeah. so just a process. And uh, I was in a band at the time. Um, I was just kind of a, you know, a, a wayward spirit, so to speak. And uh, interesting things happened just socially. People were kind of weirded out by me finding religion all of a sudden. So, you know, relationship with parents weren't great at that point because they didn't really understand it. Band asked me to leave, didn't, wasn't really understood. Uh, it was just kind of a, a nasty time, uh, but wow. any of the church was true, joined anyway. Uh, some pastors showed up to my baptism. I remember that in protest. And what? And I, I, who knows? I don't know what they were oh thinking. Oh, my goodness. Um, but it's just like a thing. And, you know, but I knew it was true and it was great. And from there on, I met my first business partner at church. I met, you know, I actually did court and got to marry my wife, which worked out fantastic. Uh, and everything's been great since. It's just been nonstop service since then. That was 17, 18, 18 years ago, 19 years ago, 19 this summer. Wow. Yeah. Man, that's yeah. really interesting. The missionaries were probably freaking out. You were probably on, we've got like, a, there's like different dots for different people and you were probably wow. a red dot, a do not contact, right? <laughs> I would hope so. I would hope so. You know, it's just, it was definitely a reputation I wore with pride. I mean, and it was, it was I kicked against the pricks and I enjoyed debate and, and, you know, especially in the religion aspect, because it's such an unprovable fathomable, you know, realm that you can just needle at and missionaries were easy fodder and religion in general as a construct to me was back then I viewed it more as an oppressive tool and less as a tool that can really get things done in an organized fashion. And so I really truly didn't understand the church's purpose and mission from that perspective. I really just kind of, took it in to be what what the propaganda machines told me it was supposed to be and and obviously now on the other side i realized how important the savior's ministry was in looking out after the most you know absolutely vulnerable among us that's all i've ever wanted to do and this church is completely nested with that and i realize it's because it's completely nested with the savior's mission and intent so it's a it's a perfect little thing there yeah wow that's really cool it's uh so i what was it that 
initially like like what was it about the church if you don't mind me asking like i know it was the holy ghost right but there had to have been something that helped you to realize that it was more of a like christ centered and not a cult because you had this whole perception this is a cult these people are crazy they're evil so how did that happen yeah i i think the easiest way to explain that is just this that I always probably knew the truth of the matter. Uh, I knew a lot of people that were LDS. I lived in Arizona for Pete's sakes. I spent time in California. They were everywhere in Los Angeles, and even in the music yeah. business. Uh, I spent some time uh, playing music with a lot of friends. It, it was just one of those things where the Holy Spirit, once it told me to stop having personal pride and a vendetta and just always this need to fight and thrash, taking that off and that layer just off was just a release. And it was just, it enabled my mind to just Put together the synapses and just say listen this is the way it is and you know this is the way it is this truly is the lord's church and once i found it the best way to put it is this feeling of home came over me and i just i knew i was home interesting that's really cool you kind of had a a saul to paul like come to jesus moment there interesting yeah it, it was interesting because you you never like really feel that, that is a compliment. You hear it all the time, I'm not insulted at all by it. When I first joined, they're like, yeah, you're like Alma the Younger. And I would read that you know, <laughs> 33 and 34. I'm like, is this what these people think I did? Like, and, and oh I get gosh. it, I kind of did, but I did. Yeah. I, I took joy in trying to drag people down with me. And it was, you know, that's not a productive or healthy thing to do. Yeah. No, but that's really a really interesting story. Like that's a, it's, it's an interesting foundation to start with because I haven't interviewed anyone who or the interviews started like that so that's kind of cool but so i guess how did you move from there to here were you always like business oriented kind of person you know entrepreneurial or like how did that come about yeah i think so i think my parents kind of raised me to do this i just both my parents were very entrepreneurial my father's a physician but he's always been focused on you know building and and developing uh the the company of his hospitals the my mother is the same way. She's an ad executive and always has been. Um, my grandfather, uh, really, who was instrumental in raising me, took a lot of time to make sure I understood what it was to have free enterprise in my blood. And it's just something that that matters. You know, it's the way that I feel the the people discount the fact that capitalism really is the most efficient way to distribute wealth among the nations, and it's the only way of wealth distribution that does not involve theft or barbarism. And people forget that this is the only methodology that allows literally anyone to have funding. Um, so for me, if I want to, you know, my personal mission in life is to end homelessness, well, then I'm going to do that through capitalist means. Uh, mm -hmm. And so for me, it's always kind of been that center focus of it's an enabler. Wealth is certainly uh, nothing that is necessary, but it is something that if you can help distribute quickly, provide jobs, provide better lifestyle, provide homes, whatever it might be, then you're well on your way to doing what you need to be doing. Yeah. The more I've been at school, like I got home from my mission being like, okay, I want to do just like humanitarian work. I don't care about money. I'm just going to help people. And I still like kind of feel like that. Right. But I've also realized the best way to help most people is through capitalism, right? <laughs> like giving them opportunity and giving them like the products that they need at the price that's correct. You know what I mean? That's, that's spot on. I mean, and, and everyone wants the same thing out of life. They want just peace for their family. They want love at home. They want to have just joy and pride and work and craftsmanship. And capitalism also enables everyone to have the opportunity to work those that can and those that are capable. And we forget so often how, 
how enabling it is to work and how detrimental it is to the human, just the human actual aspect of us when we don't have meaningful work and purposeful, you know, intent in our lives. Mm-hmm. It can actually devastate people's lives. And so uh, capitalism is one of the few things that enables us all, those that are capable to do so. And it's not some, you know, cutthroat right-wing ideology either. We can, sure, people cannot work. There are people that will not be able to improve their station in life. And it is our duty to look after them and to make sure that they do have regular food, regular income, regular lights on, regular house over their head, little things like that. And why not? But for the masses of us that are blessed, yeah, we should absolutely strive to make sure everyone has the opportunity to work. Yeah, because if not, then we're not using these these things God has given us and we're going to feel unfulfilled no matter what. Right. Right. So. right. I mean, the, the easy route of not working and having everything taken care of for us was proposed. Like Satan had yeah. some good ideas. Like that was kind of an easy round. He was like, hey, listen, just send me down there and check the box. We'll be good. Just want a bigger crown. It's, it's a cool plan. Like it's appealing, clearly. Yeah, that um, makes sense in that yeah. way, right? Yeah, it, it speaks to a part of our nature. But when you actually get to the meat and potatoes of it, what actually happens is you do feel deteriorated as a human being. You feel less than, and that's that's devastating. Yeah, yeah. and we want to learn, right? So we have to we have to be challenged. Um, go. Going back a little bit in your story, how did you actually meet your wife? Like, because it seems like you guys were in kind of different spots in life. Yeah. Um, oddly enough. She knew a lot of the same people who were both from Arizona. She's a fourth generation native. Um, wow. But she uh, she had finished college at that point. Her old college roommate was then dating my bass player. And so, yeah, so he called me up one morning at like 9 a.m. on a Saturday. And they had tickets to something. And they're like, hey, would you mind driving us all? Because I had a big Ford Expedition. And I was just kind of like, absolutely not. It's 9 a.m. on a Saturday. Like, how dare you? You know, <laughs> what, what is wrong with you? Yeah. And, and he's like, listen, I'll, I'll buy you a carton of cigarettes and the gas. And I was like, all right, fine. That, that'll work. <laughs> Cheap date. That'll work. So, um, and he did. He bought me some Jarm International cigarettes, very nice clove cigarettes. So it was very expensive, very nice. Um, but yeah, as soon as I went to go pick up the crew, basically, and, and Chrissy started walking downstairs, it was just like, that's my wife, like instantly, like no doubt about it. Whoa. Just never had that feeling before never had that like instant just bingo knowledge i mean clearly now i realize that's from the holy ghost but that was just something that was she did not feel the same way i should be very clear about that for full disclosure yeah. to the rest of the podcast <laughs> uh, i believe she had kind of an on again off again boyfriend who's much taller and athletic than i am and um but yeah persistence paid off there there you go yeah. that's good good lessons man i I can apply those. I need to just be really persistent and get a Ford Expedition and then it'll, it'll all work out. I firmly recommend both of those things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Work for me. Work for me. That's good. Man, so did you, where did you go to school to, to learn stuff or did you, did you go to school like university? I did. Um, I kind of, I graduated high school a little early and then just tried to like do stuff with my band constantly. I would go in and out of school. I primarily did my undergrad at Arizona State University, uh, though I started elsewhere and I finished there eventually, but it took me a long time to actually finish my degrees. I, I mean, I, I would just take a semester off here or there. And then when I joined the church, frankly, I just started building a business, didn't think much of it. I was a financial advisor. And it wasn't until I had a conversation with a client and he asked specifically, he had played uh, football professionally, but in college, he was a college player. And he just, he, t- he asked me where I graduated from. 
and like I'm very specific with my words, you know, you want to be honest with people. So he didn't ask, where'd you go to school? I could have given him, you know, as I stay. No, he asked, where did you graduate yeah. from? I was like, so funny story. I know you write his checks for millions of dollars. I didn't. Um, you know, and it was just this like he didn't care at all. Um, yeah. but it was one of those things where it internalized, okay, I need to go take care of this. So I went back yeah. to Arizona State. I studied uh, uh, political science with a focus in like empirical political inquiry. And then I also studied, uh, they allowed me to take some grad classes at uh, the Jewish Studies Center. And then they have a certificate program in Jewish Studies, which I absolutely love. And then I studied a lot of ecofeminism, which is basically just looking at like ecological issues from a feminist pedagogy rather than a patriarchal one. Um, which, and I took those courses because I was just having to take courses one way or the other. I had to take them at night. And for me, I wanted to stay engaged. And I knew business well, and business courses came easily to me. That was totally boring to sit there in some academic setting and talk about sterility and you know economic markets because it's all fake. Uh, when you just have to go pound sand and actually do the work. And so yeah. for me, coming back, I would be engaged every evening in these like classes of twelve people in an ecofeminism class because shocker, I was the only you know white male dude hanging out in this class. Uh, <laughs> And so I was as much of an anomaly to them as their concepts were to me. So we'd have these great engaging conversations, all very respectful. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure they thought I was a fascist weirdo and I thought they were yeah. crazy environmentalist, whatever, you know, it's, it's what it is. But, but I learned and I learned how to respect and treat other people's point of view with dignity and, and just seeing a lot of the, the perspectives that are out there that you just wouldn't even imagine, uh, you know, growing up in kind of a, you know, more Southwestern bubble, I guess is the way to put it. Mm -hmm. interesting stuff and then i did a yeah. technology degree up at georgetown uh recently for graduate school and that was just kind of one of those things where i wanted to go to b school wanted to get more into technology is that that's a large part of my focus so i joined the army after coming out of business for a little while in special operations and a lot of it had to do with my technological know-how and so i wanted to really master how to be a boss of smart technological people um so georgetown did a great job for that as well that was a lot of fun man well, cool. Did you like how, my goodness, there's so many things that you've done that it's hard to like focus on one, but so you, you decided that you'd just be like a financial advisor. You had to get like licensing for that, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the, the guy that I did that with good dude. He was just like, Hey, let's go start a business. Like he was my, you know, he brought me into Merrill Lynch first. And then like six weeks later, he's like, Hey, we should just start our own business. You want to go help me? And I'll, I'll start it up. And I was like, I'm like 20. So I'm like, sure. I don't, I don't know the difference. Sure. Yeah, that sounds not? great. That's what you do. So uh, we did that. And he started the SaaS company. We did that. Uh, uh, just kind of just pure running and then tried some stuff on my own. Uh, made a good amount of money, had a good life. And then just decided, you know, we needed to do a little more from a service aspect. So we joined, uh, the army at a certain point and went into special operations from there. That was just an absolute great time. I mean, it's just the honor of a lifetime getting to serve with men and women that are way above my station and, you know, honor and valor. So it was just great, competitive, fierce, uh, tons of fun there. So it was never like I had this one direct path. I just knew that for me, you know, there were certain aspects that I wanted to kind of check the block on. You want to actually live your life to the fullest. And I didn't want to leave anything undone. Uh, my brother served in the army in the first Gulf War back when it was cool to be in Iraq. Uh, my grandfather was in World War II. It was, just, it was just a necessary thing for me to do. And uh, did that and then came back out, did some consulting uh, in special operations, and then started this business with my cousin. Wow. 
Yeah. Man. Whose idea was it? Was it you or your cousin? His idea. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, no, he's 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 brilliant. He's actually married to my cousin. Uh she's also an engineer, but he he went to Cornell, did robotics and computer science at Cornell, worked at NASA, wow. put up a couple of astronaut uh robots basically on the space station, and then uh went back to Duke to his PhD. And he would always just kind of pepper me with different business ideas. And and when he finally just said, I want to build homes with robots, that was just like, yes, yes. That's cool. Yeah robots i'm in all in man that is really really cool so you mentioned this uh this theme of of service and so do you feel like that has been a big motivator for why you do the things that you do is like to help other people more than just to be rich and powerful yeah oh completely and i i feel blessed in the fact that i was enabled in a household you know my house was not perfect by any stretch um we all had our troubles. My parents ended up divorcing. Like it's, you know, it's typical America stuff. But the one thing that was constant throughout was just this, like those who can should reach down and pull up those that can't. And so I was probably three or four years old. The first time I drove with my grandfather on a road trip to Texas, he would take me out to different ranches and such. And we checked out, we we're driving through Texas. And I remember seeing homeless people in mass for the first time. And I was just like, holy cow, grandpa, look at all this. What's going on here? And he's just like, oh, those are homeless people. And of course, I'm like, forced. I'm like, what is homeless? And he's explaining to me this concept. And it just blew my mind. It's like, um, my parents were still kind of struggling at this point because my dad had just finished med school. My mom had just started her own company. So it was, you know, we weren't rich, but my granddaddy was like, you know, I'm sitting in this like 79 Cadillac. He has two refrigerators, which back then, you know, you're pretty much a boss, right? It's like, yeah. it's a big, I'm like, I've got a maid, you know, life's pretty good. Uh, why are there people who can't have a home when I have all of this stuff? And it just, mm-hmm. that inequality just blew my mind that in America, we had that. Like as a little kid, I remember very, very distinctly having this absolute guttural, it's the best word here, just almost a, like a repulsion to the poverty that existed in the United States, uh, let alone the third world that we have surrounding us. So from then on, I was very good about questioning my parents about what more can be done. And they were very good about saying it is your duty to do something about it because you are born into a family that expects you to do great things. But once you're there, you don't just like sit up on your pedestal and say, how great am I? Every time you rise up another step, you look back and see who needs to be pulled up with you and you just keep moving. And so I'm, I'm extremely blessed to have parents that had that focus and they got it from their parents. You know, my both sets of grandparents were the same way. And my dad's parents were always fostering and adopting other children. My mother's parents were always thinking about ways they could help out their families. So it's just, it was in their blood and thankfully they pass it on. Yeah. Wow. And that's good. It seems like, honestly, a lot of the, the things that you've mentioned have to do with your family, like why you are the way you are, like why you do the things you do is like in a big part because of your family. Do you feel like that's true? I do. I think we're not close in the traditional sense. Like my family is very businesslike. We schedule Thanksgivings and Christmases around our own business schedules. You know, it's a little weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it is very much so centered in the doctrines that our church holds to just without the church being the anchor point of it all. And so it's, you know, and it's not all for naught. My parents are very respectful now of the church and respectful of, of my service in it. And they like that. Um, they do their own thing. I do my own thing, I guess. It's the best way to put it. But it's still... You know, still at the end of the day, we're very respectful of the fact that family is the center of, of everything we do. Because at the end of the day, that's what you'll have around you. Yeah. 
Man, so it seems like you just had these, like, really through your family, even if they weren't, like, perfect people, perfect spiritual mentors, whatever, they were, like, one, great business mentors. Like, you you had this, uh, like, hereditary, almost, like, business and even military service, too. And so it's not a really a surprise that those were, that those have been big factors in your life right um and so my other question though is throughout your life has there been like some periods that have been a lot more difficult than others would you say yeah I, i think there's always you know trials you know when we when we look back and see it and sometimes you know that you're in them and sometimes you don't know that you're in them um for me you know Part of my family was I, I always had a kind of a strained relationship with my older brother. He's just uh, he was just a bigger, stronger, faster, troubled kid uh, growing up. Uh, and I think a lot of his aggression was taken out on me and I was not bigger, stronger or faster. Um, mm-hmm. My parents I knew growing up didn't have this like great marriage. And I knew that a lot of my uh, friends that I associated with, especially in my teenage years, were, uh, you know, often in the things I didn't always respect just because a lot of them like to be in the music business and yeah, all the things that come with that. Uh, but hardship, I think has been what has also shaped a lot of who I've been in the best period. So for me, I look back at those times and every time I went through something tough, especially, you know, in the military, I had a lot of cool experiences, especially in Afghanistan where I was drawing on like blatant things my grandfather had done for me that I thought were so hard and difficult that then made my time there absolutely pay off. Uh, I know this sounds probably pretty trivial in the long run, but when I was a little kid, I couldn't look people in the eyes or talk to them. I was so shy, like crippled with shyness. And my grandfather knew that I loved two things, McDonald's and McDonald's orange drink, that little high C orange drink that they used to have back in the day. And so he would take me there and like, I don't know what it was. I would have to sip that down so quick and I could not eat without my orange drink. I needed more drinks. My mouth would get all dry and he would not refill that thing for me. He would make me go up there and ask that. Like, and there were like two times I remember specifically, I just went right back to my seat. Like, well, I guess I'm not eating today. Like not even going to bother asking the lady for a refill of my drink. And he yeah. would just push and push and push and push. And he taught me conversational skills that really became a big part of who I was in the military, became a big part of who I am as a leader. And it, it all came down to him really pushing me through that ad- adversity. And then, you know, the, the experiences in the military are a dime a dozen. I'm deathly afraid of heights. And my favorite thing to do in the military is jump out of planes. I absolutely just abhor murderers, but I love hunting terrorists. Like, it's just something that it's one of these, like, you know, you can't always explain it, but it's those hardship times. Uh, I guess the hardest time we've really gone through as a family collectively was just my getting out of the military involves some uh, not so nice times. I'd gotten blown up in Afghanistan, I guess, and it caused epilepsy. And then I had a catastrophic parachute crash that had done some damage to my neck and my back, bone wise, had to have a lot of surgery done. Uh, and I just, I was a different person. You know, I was not the nicest dude. Um, I didn't always know why. Uh, epilepsy is not a cool thing. It really affects a lot of how you interact with the world, a lot of how you see the world, a lot of how you feel. Um, it's not just about having seizures, it's about losing time, it's about losing space, it's about losing energy. Um, and that was, you know, people always tell me, you know, oh, thank you for your service. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Thank my wife for hers. Like I got paid to jump out of planes and race cars. She's the one that put up with me the whole time. You know, I was playing dress up and going bang, bang. And 
she's she's the one dealing with it at home. So that was a really trying period for us. But through it, we learned a lot about honest communication. We learned a lot about, you know, just feeling intellectually safe, a lot about, uh, I learned a lot about tone. So for all you married men out there listening, uh, yeah, you do say it a little weird, guys. Just back off on the tone. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> just back off on the tone. You're not yeah. grading your wives. You're not, you know, you're not judging. You are there to support and love and listen. And I am, I'm a fixer. And so when people come to me with problems, I'm like, you know, if, if y'all haven't watched, it's not about the nail. You need to watch. It's not about the nail. Have you seen this video? I think I have. Yeah. Woman just has nails sticking out of her head. And, yeah. Yeah. And she's, she's like, it's not, do not, do not mention the nail. It's not about the nail. And he's like, I just think your headache would go away. If we, anyway, uh, yeah. that's, that's, that's my own fixer. So for, for us, it brought a lot of understanding and now we're closer as a family because of the, the real trial that we had to go through and understanding, you know, on the flip side of, of bad things happening in combat, I mean, having to deal with that, but we're still blessed beyond measure. I'm still on the right side of the grass. So I like to say, so I can't complain. Yeah, man. Well, good. It Definitely. You've had your fair share of hardships. And so luckily you had Christ, you had the church. So how, how do you feel like you have been able to see God's hand working through all of that? So for me, it's just always been about sticking to the basics. Uh, the first thing I get to work with some guys in spec ops that were just, I mean, they're so much better than me as like athletes and as shooters and as, you know, just thinkers. And the one thing they would drill home is that we're special because we do the basics constantly well. And once we've mastered the basics, then we're special. Not that we've learned some special wazoo thing. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, the big example we use is sometimes you'll see these Pacific Island countries, you know, and, you know, North Asia and all that. And they'll do these like backflips, all these cool guy things out of helicopters. They can't clear a room. They're just doing cool guy <laughs> kung fu stuff and they can't go and actually yeah. do the job. Uh, so for me, Christ has to be at the center. And what does that mean for me personally? That means every morning I'm reading my scriptures. It's not even an option. Like it's not a, I don't give myself that choice. So why would I bother untethering myself from something that's so sacred? I'm always trying to listen to what the church and its leaders have put out about the savior because it's going to draw me closer to the savior period. I'm taking the time to actually do the things I'm supposed to do and whatever calling I'm given, uh, because at that time, the Lord has asked me to do X job and I'm going to go do X job because I will go and I will do. And when you do those things, you just have safety that is unmitigated. Uh, the best advice I got, and this was before this kind of became a thing was before I went on my first deployment, they just said, you know, make sure your temple recommends renewed. And I knew like, I wasn't meaning like the Kabul temple anytime soon. But just to have that on your person, you know, the guy that told me is like, heaven forbid something happened to you. Let your body be found as one who is worthy to enter the Lord's house. And I was wow. like, that makes so much sense because every interaction I had over there and, and, you know, being in the army is there's plenty of opportunity if you just stray off straight and narrow. And yeah. they ask us to operate what they call in the gray. And the way I like to explain it to people is if you don't understand what black and white are and you're asked to go live in the gray, you will never find your way out. And so you have to know right and wrong. And so for me, having that temple recommend meant that I knew right and wrong. So when I was asked to go and do things in the grave, my nation, I knew that I could find my way out because I knew where the savior was. I knew how to listen to his voice. And so that at the center of everything that you do has to be that. Otherwise, whether it's in business and something can just be slightly shady, little white lie, little bit of indiscretion here or there just adds up to absolute departure from where you really want to be when it comes to hitting the mark. And that's, 
that's only available through the Savior and through his call. Man. Interesting. So to repeat, if I, if I get it right, right, you've seen his hand through one, like other people for sure. And, but then also through his teachings, right? You know, like when you do the simple things, you have the Holy ghost with you and his power is available in your life. Right. Yes. Yes. And, and seeing, I guess being able to see other people the way that you would think that he would see them changes your worldview, right? Uh, but what it also does is there's that principle that when you serve others, you're actually serving yourself. It's spiritually refreshing. When you take the time to really focus on seeing someone as a child of God, as your brother or sister, what's interesting is you start to believe in your own divinity and really understand that mm-hmm. you are also that person. And it, it pays dividends when it comes time to not only compassion for others, but compassion for yourself, which is something that, you know, we're losing as a society. People are more harsh upon themselves than anything else. And so I do see that in others. And then finally, when I talk about others too, I see it in the actual actions of our church leaders that have been called of God. You know, we have a prophet on the earth. How cool is that? Like people forget how important that is. Yeah. And, uh, that was my big beef with Christianity back in the day. I'm like, did God just like flip an off switch? Like I read all this crazy stuff in the Old Testament and the New Testament of prophets and laying on of hands and healing and all this you know, power to just be able to speak in a different language because the Lord told you to. Like he just was like, yeah, yeah, yeah but uh, uh, Pete, you're the last one. After you, we're cutting it off. <laughs> just, just end it. Shut yeah. it down. Yeah, it makes no sense. Of course, the Lord is the Lord. If we can say that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then yes, He's going to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah, it especially doesn't make sense if you think of it as like, if you think about world population, if you have that first thought that you mentioned, right, of God, like we're all God's children. And if we can see each other as Christ does, like our our perceptions change, right? And world population has just exponentially increased since around the time of the restoration, right? And so it would not make sense for God to only do like this tiny, tiny portion of his children and actually help them and have miracles with them when the real bulk of all of his children of all of humanity are here at, at the end. Right. 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 Can you imagine that business pitch? He's like, okay, so here's the deal. <laughs> I'm going to have two places. It's going to be like a heaven and a hell, right? They choose team Jesus. It's all heaven. If they don't choose team Jesus, it's all hell. And they have to know Jesus's name. Have to. These are rules. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Jesus be like, what, hold on, what, what if they're like born in like Asia, then like never hear my name. It's like screwed, hell, like yeah. put them in the hell bucket, done, shit, yeah. all right. And Jesus is like, well, surely then I'll be on the earth for like tens of thousands of years, right? And he's like, no, no, here's the trick part, thirty three max, yeah. And I'm gonna give you this strip of land about sixty two miles. That's all you're gonna inhabit. Yeah. And there's no internet yet. It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be hilarious. You're gonna love this, Jesus. <laughs> Makes no sense. Yeah. No sense. It, it, it's tragic the way that people put God in a box. He, yeah. Everyone spouts, everyone in Christendom, I should say, spouts the same rhetoric about he's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's this, that, and the other. Well, then he can love all people too, and he can find ways to bring us home, and he loves everyone, and he wants everyone to hear the Savior's voice. And it's not confined to the mortal coil, and it's not confined to, you know, those of us that are so blessed that we hit the genetic lottery. And therefore we get to go home to Jesus. Like that's, that's nonsense. No parent wants that. No, yeah. one's, no parent has a kid and it's like, oh, I'm sorry, you were born in Arkansas. So we're leaving you. And no, it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. Right. 
yeah interestingly like that's something that i've i've realized is if we can understand two pretty simple doctrines they're simple but like hard to really internalize is one that we are children of god right and all my life like people would say that and i'm like yeah i'm a child of god the primary song like good right and then on my mission i realized holy crap like that's actually implying some big things right it means that all of us have even like that homeless guy on the street who you see and you're like man he's crazy what's wrong with him right at what why is he doing this to himself right people who have that thought process like if you stop and you think hey he's god's child and he literally has the potential to be like god and likely because of christ he will be like god one day right so stop seeing people like that one and then two same line of thought if we're his children and he's perfect he loves us so much and if we recognize how much he loves us it's like he wouldn't do anything like spiteful or hateful or like he he just wants to help us right that's exactly right that is exactly right and it, and it matters so much that we're able to see that to internalize that and to actually go and apply it at the end of the day i always tell people i think you know uh, especially growing up, I think people got wrapped around the axle of like the judgment of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ. And that's cool. And, you know, when I was growing up, especially people would bring up, you know, he's going to bring up all the bad things you did. And sure, maybe that's true. Cool, whatever. But it's going to be the same real for a lot of folks, right? It's the same dumb, stupid sin that they keep on returning to as a dog return to his vomit. But for me, I'm more concerned that he's going to be like, hey, here's the 30 people that you could have helped that you totally ignored. And here's hmm. what would have happened to them had you. And that, oh, haunts me haunts me like every time i am tempted and i am still actively tempted on a regular basis to ignore some type of service the thought of whoever it is that needs it at that moment or that prompting that just comes and says i've got 20 bucks in my wallet and this person needs it way more than me if i ignore that prompt it is bad news bears because it's just absolutely me ignoring someone that needs something in a moment and the holy spirit was gracious enough to be like hey now go world changing to some people when you serve them and that's what i fear uh more than anything that's that i think is true hell is understanding that you could have and you didn't yeah rather than focusing on like what you did do because that's in the past right and christ is going to forgive that and whatever but like what could have been the difference that each there's so much difference that each person could really make because we are children of god right so we really can do huge things. Yes. And if we don't, it's like, it's kind of a bummer. Yes. I have, I have watched people receive homes for the first time, like from a donation. And it's a beautiful thing to see. I've watched my wife give a compliment to someone who needed it. And it was the same effect. Just like mm-hmm. in that moment, something is as silly as a, what a beautiful dress that is. And suddenly that whole world is no longer hate and self-loathing. But for a few mm-hmm. minutes, it was, oh Yeah. I'm worth something because God sees you that way. I think that's beautiful. Wow. That was a really good way to put that. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Um, I had one other question come to my mind when you were talking about how you've seen Christ's hand in your life was church service. So through church service and, and your callings in the church, how have you felt like, like, how did you know if, if that was a calling for you, how did you get that testimony and, what are the things that you've learned through church service? 
Yeah, this, this has kind of been an evolving learning session, I guess, in the sense that, you know, for me, when I heard from the Holy Ghost, the church is true, I just, just kind of went in, just said, okay, well, then here it is. And we realize, of course, that church is led by men, right? It's Christ the head, but we're all, we're all human beings. So the men and women of leadership in this church are, are not perfect. You know, Becky Craven is probably pretty close, but like the rest of them, you know, suspect at best. And it's just, it's one of those things where now we've got to think through, they are working on the knowledge God has given them, the knowledge they have in their brain and the knowledge that they receive through, through prayer and fasting and revelation. And then you have to trust that. I've always, I've always said yes to Collins, never said no. I'm just one of those guys. Um, I do totally respect when people instead say, I need to pray about this. Totally. I think that is 100% the right thing to do as well. Um, for me, it's just been, especially for us, we've moved around a lot and, you know, we've been living in the South for a long time and out here, there's just not a ton of membership where we've been. And so, you know, wherever you're needed, just go and do like, it's, it's just something that's necessary at that time. So for me, it's just a matter of if you have to pray about it, but understand that that priesthood leader at this time has taken the time to pray about your name and they feel confirmation by the Holy spirit. And by the way, here's the big secret. They could be totally wrong, right? They, they could be. I have yet to be like, I don't know if you've ever had the experience where you like, didn't want to go to a service project or something. It's 7am move on a Saturday and it's cold. And you're like, I have had that. Yeah. I'm like, if I have to hear one more person tell us that the elders corner is not a moving company. And yet here I am moving boxes at seven in the morning. I'm going to flip out. I've never once left that place in that mood. I've always left thinking what a great time that was. What a great thing that we got to do for that person. You know what I mean? So the thing with me is it's like, yeah, just say yes to the calling and then God will figure it out. He's going to reward the effort. He's and our prophet even said that for Pete's sake. So it's not like a, just a truism. That's the Lord speaking to us just saying, He's going to smile upon you if you at least give it your best. I have failed twice as an elders quorum president. The Lord gave me a third strike. Like, that's awesome. You know what I mean? Like, it's phenomenal. You get to try again. I'm right now serving in a stake presidency. You know what I hate? Administrative work and paperwork. You know what a stake presidency hmm. largely does? Administrative work and paperwork. Well, guess what, Chucko? It's time to learn. You know what I mean? That's yeah. <laughs> one of those things that, like, the Lord expects us to do things. But at every calling I've ever had, I've had great experiences and I'll tell you the greatest one. I, I always like to bring this up for people that question it. Cause I have had people that, by the way, when I was in a bishopric would turn me down when I've offered them callings that we had prayed about and we knew it was from God. And some of them were legitimately busy. Some of them, you know, were military and were just like, I'm about to deploy, got it checked. I didn't worry about it. Uh, some of them really thought that they were above it. Um, but when we moved to one, uh, one new unit I was part of, when we moved in, the Bishop called us into his office, like, Hey, you know, fresh meat, great to see you, you know, awesome. Uh, welcome to the South, uh, blah, blah, blah. He's like, uh, so what callings do you have? What do you like? What do you not like? And I'd been in the church for, I don't know, maybe five, six years at this point, maybe seven. Uh, and I was just like, oh, well, I love doing anything with service. I'll tell you what, though, I just hate other people's kids. So like nothing with primary. I just, I love my own children, but like barely, you know, it's like, you know, and I yeah. kind of joke with them a little bit. I'm like nothing with primary. Though. Otherwise, I'll do whatever. Next week, I got called to primary. Like just, of course. you know. Yeah, just, and I don't know if that was of God or if that guy's just like, hey, I got something for you right here. You know what I mean? Oh my gosh. And I taught the 11 year olds, I think it was. And mm -hmm. I'm telling you, like, that was the best calling. And it wasn't like, uh, sorry to get emotional, but like, I mean, the kids still suck, right? Because they're kids. Um, 
sorry, I'm just not great with children. Sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, you know, I am great with kids, but like not in the ways that parents want me to be. Like I like just roughhousing and throwing yeah. stuff, whatever, breaking windows. Um, but there was a kid in there who like his dad had just left and he was alone and like, Oh, that sucks. And so I just, yeah, you know, sorry. I'd play catch with him. I would just try to do whatever I could to let him know that he was loved. And like that, that was all he needed. That was the best calling ever. It, it, I tell you what, like doing temper record interviews, that's cool. Sitting up on the stand stinks. Like you don't get to even sit with your family anymore. Mm-hmm. There's, I realize there's a lot of blessings that come from service in the church, but there are none as powerful as when it is that one-on-one true healing of Christ. And that's what that was. It was as much for, for me as it was him, but I knew that that was, call, that was a calling of God. It was a calling I didn't want. It's a calling I literally asked not to have. And the Lord was like, yeah, but I'm still God. And I know what's best. And he did. And it worked out. Yeah. That's incredible. I can testify too that being a primary teacher is the best calling ever. Oh my gosh. I love it. But okay, well, to wrap up, I, I always like to ask this question at the end. Um, for you, Brent, what advice would you give to young adult members of the church right now? If you had to pick one thing to say, what would it be? Well, I I say this more to the older adults first as a threat, is I realize that our church operates under the premise that the Lord has said, I will never take the priesthood from the earth again. And I think that's awesome. Until he comes again, until the millennium, fantastic, wonderful. As a guy that really reads contracts for a living, God never said how many people would hold that priesthood. And I think we as adults need to be very, very cautious about how we welcome the rising generation uh, in the sense that if it's just six guys in a house again, and that's the entirety of the church, God's cool with that. He had it once, he'll have it again. It's about being worthy. And so that means that we as a church need to recognize this brilliant and gifted rising generation. And so for the rising generation, the advice I would give you is do it. Whatever the calling is, do it. Read the doctrine and dive deep. It's going to be so antithetical to everything the world tells you. And, and even more so now because the world is louder than it's ever been. But if you stick to the doctrine of this church, no matter what the world tells you, you will be blessed beyond measure throughout your life. And you don't see it at 25, but I can guarantee you a couple of decades later, it looks beautiful. You just gotta do it. Thanks for listening to Faith, Hope, and Prosperity, hosted by Austin Green. Find and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and wherever you listen to your podcasts.